Well, here we are in between Christmas and New Year's. Those are holidays that the world takes real serious by drinking and getting in automobile accidents and all kinds of things like that. But I want you to turn to Psalm 65. Psalm 65, and we're going to read verse 11, and then 4. Psalm 65, 11. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy path drop fatness. Now look at verse 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts, and we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Let's bow our heads. Father, as we approach the end of another year, we want to think about thy mercies to us, thy goodness to us. And here was David telling us that thy goodness is poured out unto us. We ask thee to teach our hearts this morning. There are many that aren't here that should be here, that should hear. They should learn. But these that are here this morning, bless their hearts and teach them. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness. I wonder how many in the world can say that God has been good to me this past year. Let me break that question down a little and first of all say that everyone that has life should be thankful to be alive because the wrath of God hangs over their head always. Of course, they don't realize that, but let's take a look at it. Psalm 711. While you're there in the Psalm, 711. Psalm 711 is God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Now to the page to your left, Psalm 5.5. Five. You're going to have to turn the page and start at the bottom. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And whether any person knows it or not, God owns your soul, which while you live here in the flesh is your life. Once your soul departs, you're no longer a person. It's over. You have this life and this life only to make eternity secure for yourself. But look at Ezekiel 18.4. Ezekiel 18.4 Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's rules. Now, there are very few people in the world who believe in the God of the Bible. Everyone believes in some kind of God, 
But to know the God of the Bible is not the normal, natural man's cup of tea. They just don't know him. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It's just out of their league. No matter how nice they are, no matter how educated they are, just not in their league. It's foolishness to them that a person has to be a lost sinner and know it to be saved. And then to be saved, what a ridiculous thing. And then again, every person will have their own idea what the word good would mean. If they're comfortable and things are going their way, then their life is good. A good job a good marriage, a graduation, playing on a winning team, won some money, got to travel a lot, had a healthy baby, could afford a new car. These are things in our country that people call good things. Now, there are many parts of the world where just to have a crust of bread and rags to wear are good things. You know, security, I'm talking spiritually now, security is the sleeping sickness of the world. When you're sound, safe, and secure, you don't call upon God, don't need him. Just like the rich man, by all he needs, don't need God. But there is one goodness of God and from God that far outweighs all other goods and goodness. And David mentions it in verse 4. Psalm 65, 4. Let's read that again. Psalm 65, 4. I've got to put my ribbon in there to hold it. He said, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. That means God choosing an individual and then in time drawing that individual to Christ by the Holy Spirit. To that individual, God's goodness has led them to repentance. Look at Romans 2.4. Hold your place there now in Psalm 65, but look at Romans 2.4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Now, God is good to every single one of you as long as you're sitting here alive. Some have passed on in this past year or two, and I don't know how good life has been to them. But as long as you have life and as long as you're under the gospel, God's goodness is extending to you. Now, that means, talking about repentance, that means that God has spared your life, kept you through thick and thin, through good times and bad times, 
impressed your soul with the word of God, taught your heart about your natural depravity, and gave you a glimpse of the Son of God taking your place. You abhorred your sin and cried unto God for mercy. Now that's all that takes place in repentance. That's the pathway of goodness to God's people. No, it's not lined with roses. But it's a narrow path so hidden from the world that few even find it. Turn to Matthew 7, look at verse 13. Matthew 7, 13. All familiar scriptures, kind of a rehearsal at the end of the year. They never change, they're always there. Matthew 7, 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. At where? That was the broad way, the wide gate. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Can you imagine? That even find it. Now, it's not that it's hard to find, for the whole route... The whole trip is clearly given in God's word. But being God's way and being in the Bible, the world just naturally hates it. They do not care for God's word. Look at John 17, 14. John 17, 14. I have given them thy word... And the world hath hated them. Now, who said that? Not me. I'm only reading what our Lord Jesus Christ prayed. Because you receive and follow God's word, the world's going to hate you. Well, we've just added another year to our lives. And what is the Bible definition of life? Well, according to Psalm 90, it's just a story, a play, a tale. Every person's completed life is a story that can be told. Look at Psalm 90, verse 9. Psalm 90 and verse 9. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. Our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away. No. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. If by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So what's the definition of life? It's just a play. It's a story. Put it on the stage. Curtain one, curtain two, curtain three. It's over. We spend our years as a tale that's told. Well, every story has a beginning and an ending, and in between there are highlights peculiar to just that individual. No two tales alike. 
There are no two people in here this morning that can tell you about their childhood, their teenagers, their 20s, their 30s. They can't tell you, and it would be exactly like yours. There are no two exact tales. But God is good to all. But he's gracious to just a few. Now let me show you where he's good to all. Matthew 5, 45. Matthew 5, 45. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So I said he is good to all. But then I said that he is only gracious to just a few. Stay in Matthew. Look at Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, as we review the year, can you say that God has been good to you? Are you one of the few? No, not bragging, but has God given you spiritual eyes? Has he quickened your soul, made you a new creature? you know the Bible definition of one of God's children is a new creature? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and that's the place to be, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Will the story of your life have a happy ending? No matter how you start, and I want you to know that everybody starts alike, you see, you can't tell the difference between one of God's elect and one of the non-elect. There's no way you can tell before God begins to deal with the heart. I'll, I'll read you Ephesians 2, 3, just to show you that Paul will, will tell you there's no difference can't tell. He says, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, and that's where people live, in the lust of their flesh, and of the mind. Never have a decent thought. And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There's, there's your beginning point. But no matter how the events of your life pile up, what really counts is the end of the story. If at the end of your life, when the final curtain is drawn and the tale finished, it's who you know, not what you know, who you know during your life that makes for a happy ending. God's word says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee. It's the one you approach unto, uh, unto that determines the happy ending of your life. Let me first of all tell you how it comes to be that you approach God. Why do some approach unto God and others don't? 
because God has set his love upon you from eternity. You are drawn or attracted to God because he has determined to love you. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah 31.3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Well, that would be good if that's all there was, but the second part is marvelous. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Do you see why a person comes to Christ? The love of God draws that person to him. Our Lord Jesus tells us the same thing in John 6, 44. John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Do you understand the drawing is magnetic-like? There's nothing you can see, but it's something that you can feel. You are drawn to God because God loves you, or you wouldn't be drawn to him. Now, you don't know what this drawing is as it occurs in various parts of your life. You just think, well, that's me. I'm a little different because I think of heaven and hell once in a while. The Bible fascinates me. We were taught it at the house. I enjoy studying it. Great stories in the Bible. But one day, the Lord turns the power up on his magnet. And upon reading God's word, you thought to yourself, from what this says, I'm a lost sinner. Under condemnation and on my way to hell. I know I've sinned, but it never occurred to me that each and every sin has to be paid for. I'm under condemnation. Look at John 3.18. You're close by there. John 3.18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because they're sinners. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But I'll tell you why. Nobody goes to hell just for not believing. People will be sentenced to hell because they sin. You got it? You go to heaven because you believe. You go to hell because you sin. Hey, this is serious. No wonder they call the gospel good news, for it's the only way a sinner can be reconciled to God and escape the damnation of hell. You see, this is God's drawing. This the sinner experiences in life. The drawing experiences in life are the highlights in the life of God's elect. Sure, they have great events in life like others, 
They have birthdays, graduations. They fall in love and get married. They have precious babies that really thrill their hearts. But God has given to them an event that stands above all other blessings. There was a day when he regenerated their soul. The time when God gave them spiritual life and eyesight. And they by grace took their place as a lost sinner. Why is that so wonderful to be a lost sinner? Because Christ came to save lost sinners. That's what's so wonderful about it. Look at Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You see, when that sets in, when God the Holy Spirit shows a person their loss, you know what? Now you are a realistic candidate for salvation. Sure, it's humiliating to say you're lost. The flesh, and I'm talking about proud flesh, wants the world's applause, not its disdain. The world's attitude toward Christ is no different today than it was the day he was crucified. When they said, if he be the Christ, let him come down from the cross and save himself. In other words, they're saying he's no different than any other criminal and can't even save himself. And then that word lost, what do you mean lost? People tell you, you make your own heaven or hell right here on earth. That's the natural man's ignorance disguising itself as wisdom. All unbelievers only echo what they are taught at home, at school, and from TV and the news media. The blessed difference is God choosing back in eternity, which of necessity demands that in time the elect one would be taught by the Holy Spirit. Not a tingling, not a burning sensation, uh-uh, a reproving of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Turn to John 14, 26. John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. You got it? That's the only way we learn anything spiritually. As you read God's word, you say, hey, I've got a college education. I ought to be able to comprehend. There's a lot of stupid, ignorant college graduates who cannot understand a single verse in this Bible. I had that experience once. I gave a brand new Bible to a teacher who is such a good teacher that he got promoted right out of the school down to the school board, ahead of a whole department. I said, read John 17, tell me what you think of it. I gave him the Bible, brand new Bible. Some weeks later, I said, did you ever read it? He said, yeah, yeah, I read it. I said, well, what did you think of it? I, I, I couldn't understand it. I didn't get anything out of it. Unless God the Holy Spirit teaches your heart, you won't be taught. Well, 
that's to God's elect. They're taught by God's Spirit. Now, the rest of humanity, God lets alone. I know you don't like to hear that. The world don't like to hear that. But God lets them alone. I'll show that to you. Romans 9, 18. Turn to Romans 9, 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now, what does he do to harden somebody? He lets them alone. He lets them alone with their own depraved heart, with their own depraved mind. He lets them work. He lets them prosper. He lets them just do anything they want, but he does not give them grace. Chosen and made to approach unto God. What a beautiful year every year is to the believer, regardless of how sad some situations are. Some people go through terrible, terrible situations, and yet to be called and chosen by God, chosen and called, is the most wonderful thing that can happen. Just a poor sinner waiting for the return of his or her Savior. Why? What happens then? Believers living or already in the grave will then receive their new bodies. That's the hope of a believer. You're not going to have to tote this old wicked body around with you forever. We are promised new bodies. Turn to Philippians 3.21. Philippians 3.21. I'm going to read verse 20 along with it for you. For our conversation is in heaven. How is that? Well, when you pray, that's where your conversation is. When you talk to the Lord, you're not talking to him down here. He's hearing you in heaven. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our conversation is in heaven. It should be. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to have bodies like his, resurrected bodies, bodies that no harm can come to and bodies that will never sin. And these bodies, no matter how youthful, how sickly, how much you work it out, did you see what the scriptures called your body? That it may change our vile body. It's all as good for us sin. Now look at 1 John 3, 2. John's anxious to get a new body. He's really not telling us what it's going to be like, but he says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now... Are we the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. We'll have bodies like his, resurrected bodies. We're not going to be gods, no way. But we will have resurrected bodies that will never hurt, never get sick, never die. Always to be with the Lord. I was going to say better than that. We shall forever be with the Lord. Look at First Thessalonians 4.17. 1 
1 Thessalonians 4.17, just before the two Timothys. This is speaking about that getting a new body, speaking about when the Lord comes back to take his people out. So then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? To always be with him. The one who loved you beyond the description of love. The one who kept the law for you. The one who was obedient to God for you. You're not obedient. You don't care. Hardly do you give God a thought. He kept the law for you perfectly 24 hours a day for 33 years in our place, in my place. And then being such a perfect keeper, the judgment that's supposed to fall upon lawbreakers certainly should not have fell upon him. He voluntarily then suffers the eternal punishment of hell in your place and mine that we might have eternal life. How do you thank a God like that? And now to help his child along this pilgrim trip through the world, God places obstacles at various places in the narrow way, displeasing to the flesh that loves to be petted and pampered. But these obstacles are building blocks to faith. I'm going to let Peter explain it to you. Turn to 1 Peter 5, look at verse 6 through 10. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. You got that? That's what this life is all about, why you suffer. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. God knows every little detail of your life and why you suffer. Look at 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 8. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation, terrible times, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. I like that. In whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now Paul says something about here's a sharp sentence by Paul. Look at Second Timothy three twelve. 
2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, God puts those obstacles in your path. Now, all that the world calls proper, pleasure, or profit either has its beginning in sin or has its ending in sin. That's all the world can offer you. A choice has to be made by God's people. Look at Hebrews 11.25. Hebrews 11.25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Who's that? That was Moses. That should be all of God's people. Moses could have been Pharaoh's son, the richest man in the world at the time. It says he suffered affliction with the people of God. How short a time is life? It's very short compared to eternity. Again, Paul explains our suffering just a little bit in Hebrews 10. Look at verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, and most awakened sinners do. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while she became companions of them that were so used, when God's people became more important to you than your buddies. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. See, God's people do have to make a choice. God's people do live differently than the world. So why do we thank God for his goodness this year and each year? Because, and here's our last scripture. Turn to Romans 8, look at verse 31. Romans 8, 31. If there's anything can top this in your life, then you've missed somewhere. What can we say then? What can we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. God delivered him up, mind you. Not the Jews, not the Romans. God delivered him up through his eternal counsel. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Not your wife, not your husband, not your mother, not your father, not your kids. Nobody justifies you. You can't be justified. God justifies you. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ satisfies him. 
The Lord keeping the law perfectly satisfies God. So somebody who's in Christ, God justifies them because of what Christ did. There's your justification. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? Who can say anything about you? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. The God of the universe, the creator, he's the one died. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's still caring. He's still watching over. He never lets his people go. And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation, distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, as it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in these things we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've got to be in Christ to know this love of God. Our Lord invites anyone and everyone at any time to come to him. Preacher don't invite you to come. He has no power to do that. Church can't invite you, but the Lord Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Now that's the greatest invitation there is. You hear it, it's your responsibility to act upon it. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple gospel message this morning. Oh, I know our hearts are hard, our memories are polluted. Our minds are polluted. We're in the midst of holiday season when everything is party, party, and hip, hip, hooray. But there's something very serious going on in the hearts of some of our people. They're crying out for mercy. They desperately want eternal life. And we grant that thou would free some of them this day. Give them the power to become the sons of God. Work thy spirit in their hearts. Give a cry to those who are just merely on the edge of eternity, playing games, waiting for something to happen which will never happen. Lord, give our people grace. Give them strength. Give them wisdom to reflect upon the things of eternity. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. You're all dismissed.